The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, Global Leaders in Fertility and IVF. In this episode, we dive into something a little different. Recently, I was interviewed for a great podcast show called the LGBTQ Plus Let's Get Behind the Questions podcast. I go deep with host Nick Hennessy and Nick Christian, and I'm sharing this episode with you. So who are Nick and Nick? Well, they are the dynamic duo who hosts Woolworths Group's first LGBTQ Plus podcast, Let's Get Behind the Questions. This podcast is released weekly and it aims to educate allies and gives LGBTQ plus team members a voice by sharing their stories and experiences. They have created a platform where they share the stories of the people at Woolworths Group, sharing their stories and experiences in order to educate and inspire allyship. Nick Christian is a communications professional and co-chair of Proud at Woolworths Group. Nick identifies as a cisgender gay man who can't say no to a matching outfit with his dog, Princey. Nick Hennessy is a culture change and talent professional and co-chair of Proud at Woolworths Group. Nick identifies as a cisgender bisexual woman who could probably talk underwater, so naturally co-hosting a podcast is right up her alley. She was recently recognized with the 2021 Pride in Diversity AWEI Sapphire Inspire Award for the LGBTQ plus women for their contribution to workplace inclusion, visibility and support of other LGBTQ plus women. She received this award on behalf of other queer women who have ever doubted their ability to create change and impact. Although they have two very different 9 to 5 roles with Woolworths, What they both have in common is a passion for uplifting marginalized voices and creating a sense of connection and community with LGBTQ plus people and allies. I was interviewed for episode 40 of their podcast and I thought I'd share it with you. Nick and Nick asked me a few questions and I open up about what is IVF exactly? We discuss the history of IVF. We talk about city and rainbow fertility. How might two LGBTQ plus people who can't conceive naturally go about having a baby? Where do they even begin? What is IUI and how is it different to IVF? In Australia, what are the options available for two people who identify as men in a relationship wanting to have a family? Can they use IVF? And if so, how does that work exactly? What about two people who identify as women in a relationship? Through the Houses of Hogwarts, I also give advice on how to cope through fertility treatment. I'll leave a link in the show notes on how you can listen to Nick and Nick's podcast. It really is an important and informative podcast, and I hope you like it as much as I do. Please follow them. For now, I hope you enjoy our chat. You and I are privileged to have just finished a tour of the City Fertility IVF Clinic in Circular Quay in Sydney. And we are now going to have a chat with one of their doctors, which we kind of gave a little teaser to at the end of last week's episode. Yes, Dr. Tash. Dr. Um, Tash. And what a tour it was. God, so many things to see. Rolled out the red carpet. Oh, I know. And thankfully they did because uh, you know, I am an influencer of sorts. So it's very important for me to uh, have the red carpet rolled out. Um, but, you know, to be very serious with you, um, as a single gay man, mm-hmm. I don't even know what IVF is. I've heard it being mm-hmm. thrown around and I've, of course, had the odd Google here and there, but um, I'd much prefer someone qualified and professional to talk to me about IVF. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to find out more. So who are we talking to, Dr. Tash? What's, yes. what's, what's her deal? Let me tell you about Dr. Tash. Yeah, so Dr. Tash is a doctor specialised in obstetrics and gynecology. What does that mean? What's obstetrics mean? Pretty sure that means delivering babies. Right. Okay. Or things to do with babies. We'll find and, out what And gynecology, what does that mean? Gynecology. Yeah, gal. what's that one mean? Um, women's reproductive organs or female right. reproductive organs doctor. Yeah, okay. Didn't look um, familiar, that's why I was asking, but that makes sense as to why. Okay, yes, good. thanks mm-hmm. for putting me on the spot there and really testing my medical well, knowledge, uh, which I don't sure know. 
you weren't just bluffing your way through, but that's good. After a little tick there, that's good. And Dr. Tash has also had lots of further training in fertility, reproductive medicine, hormone health, and human genetics. Right. So she works with City Fertility, which is the IVF clinic, and she also that's had where we are today. Yes. Yeah. yeah, she's got her own practice too. Um, and also she's a clinical lecturer at the University of Sydney at their medical school, so she's very busy. And then you know what else, Giles? What? She's also famous. Do you know why? Is she an influencer? Oh, I'm going well, to have to. Well, she kind of is a bit of an influencer, actually. She's got a social media. I was going to say, if you were going to say she's a boohoo influencer, there's <laughs> going to be stuff going down, my friend. She's not a I boohoo was... ambassador, no. Um, well, not that I know of. She could be. I'm just not sure. No, but yeah, she, no. she also has a podcast. So we're bringing on like another professional today in the podcasting arena. Oh. So yeah. um, another podcaster. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's her podcast called? Uh, yeah, so she has a podcast that's focused on women's health, and it's called The Fanny Mechanic. Oh, and we that's very clever. And we have a link to her podcast in our show notes, so you right. can people can go and explore that. Amazing. Um, so, um, so we're going to be talking to Dr. Tash. That's amazing. Um, what is the question that we're going to be getting behind today? Oh, like, I'm what, what, what is the actual question? Because, you mm. know, we're all about getting behind the questions. That is the title of our podcast, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. We're not the fanny mechanic here. We are getting behind the questions. You'd die if we were, my goodness. Anyway, so as we would know, we've been doing our Rainbow Family series and we've spoken to quite a few different types of Rainbow Families. And along the way, we've talked a bit about IVF and fertility options. It seems to be like a reoccurring theme. Um, so we thought we needed to bring on the expert because you and I are not. And so we're going to speak to Dr. Tash to get behind the question, how does IVF actually work? What's it all about? Well, I reckon we should bring in Dr. Tash. So let's bring her in. Welcome, Dr. Tash, to the podcast. Thank you, Nick and Nick. <laughs> um, great to have you on today. So, um, Dr. Tash, I know that you're a new listener to our podcast, but I feel like you get the vibe that you know that we start with the same question for all of our podcasts. So, our first question to you today is Who is Dr. Tash? Who am I? It's a big it's question. A question. Pretty long answer, actually. Do you have time? Yeah, we've got <laughs> we've got all the time. This is your episode. Yeah, no, I love the way you ask people that because it always, um, as a podcaster myself, I appreciate how you ask questions. And what I love about what you guys do is that you give people time to answer all the questions. Yeah. And I love that first question. Um, so who am I? I am a child of Greek migrants to Australia. So I was um, born and bred in Sydney. I'm a cisgender, heterosexual woman who was born, raised and work now in the inner west of Sydney. And my pronouns, because I know you guys like pronouns. Yes. Are she, her, and I really like they. Cool. Um, I'm a qualified obstetrician, gynecologist and a subspecialist in reproductive medicine and hormone health. And I have ovaries and a uterus, but I chose not to use my uterus. And what I mean by that is that I've actually made a decision as a woman not to have kids. Um, but I'm a very proud aunt of two girls, my brother's girls, called Evelyn and Eleanor, and I'm a godmother to Harry. Um, and growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor. I had an uncle who I was very close to, my mom's brother, who passed away when I was really young, and his death really impacted on me, and I just knew from a young age that I wanted to be a doctor. And so I worked my tush off in high school. I spent half of high school in the library and just studied really hard, um, got into University of New South Wales Medical School, uh, which was really probably the best time of my life, like six, seven years. Worth. I don't know how long was medical school again. It was really long. Um, but it was just so much fun. And I was at University of New South Wales, but my teaching hospital was St Vincent's in Darlinghurst. And this was the 90s when Oxford Street, King's Cross were really active, really different to what they are now. And so you'd be you know, at a lecture at the hospital and then afterward we'd go to a drag show. Oh. Or we'd go to a, you know, a street joint up to Queen's Cross and it was just so much fun. But a few things and that impacted on me at that hospital was, um, it was, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ward 17 South. Yeah. Uh, so that was the main HIV ward in Australia at the time uh, in the 90s. 
and it was actually the first HIV AIDS unit in Australia. Um, and I remember being really impacted by my time there because, you know, this was the early 90s when fear around HIV was really quite prominent. And I remember going into that ward and thinking, I'm just being really scared, you know, I'm being scared of HIV. I'm mean, oh, God, I'm on a ward with HIV patients. But after the time there, I realised, wow, it just really changed how most people at the time saw things, which is it's just a disease of gay men, when in fact it, it totally isn't. Mm -hmm. And after spending a lot of time there, it impacted on me how many people um, worldwide are affected by this from all parts of the world, women, men, you name it. Um, you know, and so I remember that time and thinking, yeah, I really want to do something in, in sexual health as well. And so all these seeds were being planted all along um, kind of my, my course as a medical student. And then I graduated in 2000. Then I did an internship at Concord Hospital, which was amazing. But my best term there was with a um, plastic surgeon called Peter Hirsch, who's still around. He is a reconstructive surgeon and he does a lot of gender reassignment surgeries. Mm. And I got to work with him. And one of my favourite patients under his care was a transgender woman. And I had to do vaginal dilatation on her every day for about a month. And in that time, you know, I used to take her coffee and she used to tell me all of her transgender stories, how she ended up being where she was. She was also a, a conductor, a tram conductor in Melbourne. But she really gave me an insight into the, the world of a transgender person. Um, so I look back at that, I, again, another little seed was planted in that, okay, I really want to do something again in, in, in reproductive health, in sexual health. Um, and at the time I also worked with Dr Anne Pike, who was a gynaecologist who used to do a lot of um, hysterectomies in, in women um, trans, trans, transing to men. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that patient. And, uh, and then I went on to do ONG training at RPA and then I decided I want to become a reproductive medicine specialist, which is extra three years of training. Oh, gosh. And then I went overseas, did my fellowship in the UK and um, would go to London once a week when I was in Oxford and uh, there was an intersex clinic there, um, which, again, was amazing, opened my eyes. Went to the Netherlands, came back, set up private practice. I was at Jenea for a while, which is a fertility company in, in Sydney, and then I moved across to City Fertility in the middle of COVID last year. And, um, yeah, what else about me? I'm a, I'm a maker. I love making things. I've got a podcast channel. I love making podcasts, clothes. I've got a book club called the Dr. Touch Book Club. If anyone's interested, come and get <laughs> I have an interest in research in music therapy, which I work with at the University of Western Sydney. And I'm also a University of Sydney lecturer. And my passion at the moment is to change the curriculum so the doctors of the future can be more LGBTQ clued up. Yeah. So um, that's a big thing. So that's coming this year. So that's a bit about me. Wow. Okay. I love dogs. Do you have a dog? I wish. Oh, well, yeah, you've got all these, all these extracurricular apps. You have to show Dr. Tash a photo of Quincy. Have you got one on hand? Oh, yes. Let's see. Oh, just for the record, that was a or as if uh, Dr. Tash thinks. Obviously, Prince is very cute. Very cute. I think um, you sort of talked about your medical background and your history, but maybe we could under, unpack a little bit more what your specialties are and what does that mean. Like, because yeah, I think so as a, I'm a CREI, so obstetrician gynecologist. I, so I, I trained to become an obstetrician and to deliver babies, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Because I really wanted to focus on baby making. Yes. So that's why I sort of specialised in certification of reproductive endocrinology and fertility. And obviously part of that is, is um, doing lots of fertility treatments, um, IVF procedures, but I also I love anything to do with hormones, prescribing hormones. So I, I do a lot of menopausal treatments and, um, and just some general gynae as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so now, Dr. Tash, you're obviously a doctor, Dr. Tash, um, but you have a lot going on. You just mentioned uh, lots of activities um, in your introduction there. So you own your own practice. You're affiliated and work with City Fertility IVF Clinics. You run a podcast. You do guest speaking. Um, you're partnering with the university, as you mentioned. I think 
But what seems to be the common theme is all of that is really related to fertility and um, sexual health. Why are you really passionate about that space? I don't know. I just am. I always, <laughs> just always have been. You know, at high school I was always asking girls about their, you know, their, you know, sexual interests and what they were doing, were they using condoms. I just, I've just always been interested yeah. in sexual health. I, I, when you ask me that question, it's, I, I just... It's like almost I was born to do this. Yeah. You know, um, and that's where my energies go. I think that's good because often people kind of shy away from it because it's a bit like, oh, taboo and, like, you yeah. know, the history of yeah, no, sexual health and sexual, you know, education it's as well. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always changing. It's very academic and there's always new technologies evolving, uh, which I find really interesting. Mm. It's not Groundhog Day ever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, fertility options and fertility treatment have just evolved rapidly um, since it's been in existence. So that's a really cool space to be involved in. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, in this series, we've been talking um, to lots of Rainbow families about um, their experiences um, and their stories, hearing their stories. And something that's been coming up constantly is the topic of um, IVF. So, um, I, I told you before, I am very, very new to this. Um, <laughs> as a single gay man, I had not even uh, looked into it. So, um, could we maybe just start with the basics? So, what does IVF stand for? So, IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. So, here I have props, and our, our listeners, you can't see these props. Oh, should I describe them? Yeah, yeah, describe them, Dr. Tash. What are they? To make a baby. Pretty much, we need just a few ingredients. It's a an recipe. Egg. Yeah, this is an, exactly a recipe for a human. An egg, sperm, egg and sperm hopefully come together to make an embryo, like my little rainbow embryo. Yes, very cute. And then the embryo has to go into a uterus to grow. So that's all you need to make a baby. So with in vitro fertilisation, we need to obtain all these somehow mm -hmm. for, the, for this to work. So we need to obtain eggs from an ovary. Uh, usually after we've stimulated that ovary with injections and drugs. Uh, once we've obtained those eggs, we then have to put those eggs together in a dish with sperm. Then we watch that combination hopefully come together, fertilisation occurs and growth and development happen in the laboratory. Uh, and then we endeavour to either freeze those embryos um, or put them back into the uterus at some point. So that's, all you, that's, that's 101. But so you get all the ingredients, you mix them together, mm -hmm. and then you put them in the oven. Exactly. Okay, that's how you do it. It's, it's like a cake. cake. It's how you make a baby. Yeah, it's a human cake. But I thought, um, and if I may, I wanted to talk about the history of IVF. Yeah, indulge that, That'd I, be great. I, I love history and the history of medicine in particular. But um, IVF, so the first IVF, actually, maybe I should do some bit of trivia with you. Oh, okay. Well, here we go. We're on the spot. Okay, let's go. Let's go. I get competitive. I get competitive, Dr. Tash. So can you tell me where, where the world's first IVF pregnancy was? Oh. Um, I'm sorry, Australia. Mate, you are right. Is it? Oh, I was going to go like the Scandinavian no. region because they're quite progressive. <laughs> See, you said you didn't know much about this. Oh, yeah, so. he's a dark horse. He's a dark horse. Okay, all right. Next question. So, is that another one? That, though, it was 1973. Yeah. The world's first IVF pregnancy was in Melbourne. Yeah. But it led to a miscarriage. Mm. So it was a pregnancy but not a birth. Yes. Now, before 1973, in way, way into the 60s and the 50s, um, there were lots of scientists, very clever, clever scientists working on this whole process of putting these eggs and sperm together. Um, but there was a very clever um, British physiologist, physiologist called Dr. Edwards and uh, essentially, uh, he and a guy called Steptoe, which was, he was a gynecologist, um, got together and in 1976, they also put an embryo into a human, uh -huh. but it became an ectopic pregnancy. So it was a pregnancy in the fallopian tube. Yeah. Anyway, they kept beavering along. And then in 19, sorry, beavering, 1978, <laughs> They were responsible for the world's first IVF baby being born. Oh. And her name was Louise Brown. And she was born on the same day as my eldest niece, 25th of July, oh. by elective cesarean section. And they did her delivery um, before midnight because they wanted to escape 
kind of controversy in the media. She was born in Manchester. Yeah. Um, because what these people were doing at the time was actually very experimental mm. and they were copying a lot of crap pretty much from, from, from people. A little bit of background around Louise's parents. They were a hetero, cisgender uh, couple called yeah. Leslie and Peter. And the reason why they needed IVF, which is a very common indication still today, is that Leslie had blocked tubes. Um, so if you have blocked fallopian tubes, egg and sperm can't meet yeah. and you need IVF. So, um, and I also have to mention that there was a, a woman who's always forgotten. Um, her name is Jean, her name was Jane Purdy. And she was the nurse involved with this whole situation. But she rarely gets mentioned. And I thought I, it was important for me to mention her today because um, it was only in 2010 that Edwards was actually awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Wow. So had died many years earlier, as had this um, nurse, Jean Purdy. Um, so, these parents who ended up having IVF, um, Louise's parents, also had a second daughter by IVF. Mm. And then many years later, their second daughter, Natalie, gave birth to her first child. So she was the first IVF baby in the world to then have her own baby, but naturally. Cool. And then her sister, Louise, had her own kid as well. And the world kind of took a deep breath and went, oh, okay, so they're still fertile. Like, you know, we're not creating freaks. Oh, my God. Um, a little bit more history. Yeah. 1980. True or false? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Australia's first IVF baby was born in Melbourne. True or false? True. True. Oh. Ah, yes. I went the opposite. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 81 and, and, and um, 82 came babies in the USA and then France and Sweden. Wow. So Australia is, is and always has been a Massive pioneer in IVF treatment. So 1980, the first yeah. IVF baby in yeah. Australia. And then, again, Australia, massive amount of firsts. 1983, uh, in Australia, the world's first frozen embryo baby was born. Mm. And then in 84, the world's first baby born from donated eggs. Ah. Uh, so now, fast forward to 2021. IVF, standard medicine. It is now standard medicine. What was very much controversial once upon a time is now standard medicine, and we've gone beyond the hetero. Mm. Um, it's LGT, BQ, um, in one in 23 kids. One in 23 is the statistic. Is born by IVF. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's a little bit about IVF. That's cool. Okay, so building from that then, Dr. Tash, I think we used the term IVF a lot and it's pretty common lots of people have heard of it yeah. but they may not have heard of another term which is IUI mm -hmm. so what is IUI and how is it different to IVF so this is an IUI catheter this is um, an intrauterine insemination catheter so okay what it involves uh, IUI is pretty much drawing up sperm yes. in one of these babies yeah and that sperm can be frozen or fresh yeah and then that is injected directly into a woman's uterus. So for a woman, it's like having a pap smear. Okay. Okay. And intrauterine because we're not just injecting the sperm at the level of the, of the, of the womb, the cervix. We're actually going beyond the, than the cervix uh -huh. into the uterus. Yeah. Intrauterine. So we're injecting sperm directly into the uterus. Um, we're happy that that sperm, you know, is concentrated, that there's lots of um, motile um, live sperm. Mm-hmm that then stands a great chance of meeting an egg when it's actually released into the fallopian tube. Yeah. So you would have to sync that up with an ovulation exactly. cycle. Yeah. Either we help that woman um, ovulate by giving her an injection uh, or um, she does it on her own. Uh, but either way, we do have to monitor that process so that we can get the timing right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, okay. we, we use this a lot. Um, well, I, I, I do this a lot. Personally, in my patients, so um, you know, lesbian couples who are coming through for treatment, for example, that's really, yeah. a really common procedure. But also in um, hetero couples where they just can't have sex, see a lot of them. Uh, the woman has too much pain with intercourse, or um, there's mild male, what we call mild male factor, so a little bit of, of a sperm problem. Or even patients who have cystic fibrosis, and you probably have cystic fibrosis. Yeah, mucus at the neck of the womb can get really thick and gluggy as mm. another of their, their disease. And so when you're undergoing IUI, you're bypassing that process. Yeah. So very commonly performed. 
I knew why per cycle is not as successful as IVF. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, however, a lot cheaper and less invasive for patients. So yeah. They're more likely to want to maybe do this first. Yeah. Uh, so we do a lot of IUI. Yeah, that's cool. So how do you, this is a very dumb question, but so if the sperm is frozen, mm -hmm. how, do, how does it, like, how is it still alive? Well, we thaw it. The scientists thaw it. So you got to wake it up. Yeah. So it's it's so, it's, it's frozen in, in nitrogen. Right. And yeah. they take it out, they warm it up. and so it's, it up? Well, some of that sperm will have, you know, uh, passed away. Uh, I don't know, some of us were saying death. Death, right? <laughs> um, but the majority, we hope, of that sperm is is still very much, you know, going to go for that egg. It's kind of like the sperm goes into a coma, and then you wake it up from the coma and be like, "All right, it's your time to shine. Get ready." Yeah. So we do a lot of a lot of freezing in in reproductive medicine. We do a lot of freezing sperm, a lot of freezing of eggs, of ovarian tissue, uh, and embryos, of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty clever. Though. What's it? What's it's what's so clever. clever. I can't believe there. what we do. Like that's it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's magic. So, Doctor Tash, you work um, you work with uh, City Fertility Clinic, mm -hmm. uh, which has a really cool initiative called Rainbow Fertility. Yeah. Um, so, firstly, could you tell us a little bit about who City Fertility are, and then tell us a little bit more about what Rainbow Fertility is? Yeah. So, City Fertility uh, grew up uh, out of Brisbane family company back in 2003 and now um, they're located in not just uh, Queensland but also New South Wales and um, Victoria. There are eight clinics and growing and lots of doctors, I think close to 50 doctors and I'm, I'm one of them and um, I joined them in 2020 in the middle of COVID and uh, at that time uh, that was, that was also a time when a lot of my friends were moving across to City Fertility, a lot of my doctor friends. And they kept telling me, why don't you come across to Human Work With Us? It's pretty cool. And then they were telling me about things like the Rainbow Initiative uh, and what that means. And, and when I heard what Rainbow is, and obviously City Fertility is a massive, well, big Australian IVF provider, but Rainbow Fertility is kind of an arm uh, of um, City Fertility but it's specifically catered to the LGBTQI community. And, and why is that? Because people were listening. So people who were working for City Fertility, nurses, doctors, would go to conferences, medical conferences, uh, or speak to people. And, and the LGBTQI community would often be saying things like, well, we want our own uh, clinic or we want to be listened to or mm. uh, why, why don't people um, kind of know about what our needs are? And we want to be able to just pull up a clinic and go, no, I actually want to come with my girlfriend. I, you know, I'm not necessarily straight or whatever. Um, and so it was more about um, creating a, an environment where we could treat LGBTQI people um, in, a, in a really open, diverse, big hug. It's like when you walk through here, there's a sticker at the front. Yeah. And it's like and there's rainbow sticker. flags everywhere. It's, yeah. Friends of Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> and so that for me was a big plus because I thought to myself, these people are progressive and yeah. this is the kind of company that I want to work with. Yeah. And um, and and everyone in the in the office here that you see today, including other offices around Australia, is actually getting education around the language and communication um, that we need to be using. Yeah, for our community, for your community, for our rainbow community. Yeah, and um, and you know we've done a few sessions with Claire Allen from Acon, and I personally am working with Claire um, to work on my forms that I give my patients because I want to work on forms that are going to be gender neutral. Yeah, which is actually a really tricky thing to do, mm -hmm. but she's managed to do it really well for me, and she's also going to go through my website and make it gender gender neutral. That's great. So um yeah, and so there's great resources and um. As Judith was saying earlier, Beyond Gender is also another group we're working with. Yeah. And uh, City Fertility is also part of a bigger kind of Asian uh, conglomerate called the Char IVF, and they kind of combined forces in 2018. And the Char group, particularly in Korea, out of Korea, a huge net world of academia and technological development in IVF. 
So, and, and, and that's why this clinic looks the way it is. This is very Korean, very minimalistic. Yeah. Very I, clean. I love, I love the aesthetic here. Aesthetic, it's amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got the harbour views right here. Um, but yeah, I, that's a little bit about rainbow and, yeah. and city. City fertility. Yeah. Okay. So if we go to, let's talk about starting base, Dr. Tash. So maybe we'll hone in on a specific question. And I think maybe some of our listeners might be thinking, what do I even do here? So how do two LGBTQ plus people who can't conceive naturally, how would they go about wanting to have a baby? Like where do they even start? Where do they begin? Does it start with their GP? Do they start by contacting a fertility clinic? Like what do they do? Good question. A lot of people did the Googling. Yes. Um, but then, yes, the, the simplest way is to obtain a referral from your GP for you and your partner. And that means that you can get Medicare rebates from that specialist. And I recommend you see a fertility specialist. And um, when you I'll, I'll run you through how patients come through to me. Yeah, um, that's cool. Pretty much uh, they call my rooms, they book an appointment with my secretary, and my secretary will say, yes, please, um, we want a letter from your GP with both of your names so you can both get Medicare rebates. Then, depending on what they want to do, so say we're talking about a lesbian couple. Yeah. If they are both wanting to consider being uh, involved in the process, then they will both fill out a form mm-hmm. about themselves. So before I see the, the, the couple, I will know everything about them. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of paperwork, but, hey, I'm just I'm a Virgo and I'm just over the top, okay? I'm, I, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> and I like to know detail. So, um They'll fill out that form and then when I meet with them, I'll ask them, what what does family look like to you? You're here today because you want to start a family, create a family. What does that look like to you? How many kids do you want? How do you want to do this? And everyone comes in with a plan. Yeah. They'll say, oh, okay, yep, um, we've got a friend we know uh, who wants to be a donor and I don't want to carry but I would like to give my eggs um, towards the process and my girlfriend would like to carry. Yeah. And that's, it sounds like it's complex, but it's actually not. Yeah. And it's great when people come through and they actually have a plan because that's totally doable. Mm. And then, of course, I then go through each of their histories and um, I'll also order a lot of tests. And um, the basic tests that I will do are an ultrasound, hormonal studies, because then you've got to assess, okay, um, is that doable? Do we have, does the person who wants to give, wants to give her eggs, does she have a good egg reserve? Yeah. Um, does the uterus that we're putting this embryo into um, look good? Yeah. And then, of course, I'm going to have to meet the donor. Mm-hmm. And that will be a separate process. And uh, I meet with them. We do some tests again. We do a semen analysis. And then counselling is a big part of this. And um, counselling is mandatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's two sessions. And most people go, oh, I've got to need counselling. Is that a law? But yeah. It is, okay. yeah. And I've just done a podcast on donor counselling that I put up on my podcast, The Fanny Mechanic, this week. Yeah. And I interviewed Melissa Oxland, who's a um, Zika Australian New Zealand Infertility Counsellors Association. So they have, there has to be a specific counsellor that people have to actually have counselling with. Yeah. Because those counsellors have the training mm-hmm. and know all the, the topics to address. And the topics um, are really, really interesting. And, and everyone comes away from the sessions going, that oh, was really, really interesting. You know, it makes you think about, okay, so we're going to create a baby in this way. Um, how are we going to tell about the, the baby, about the, their origins? Um, you know, discussion around legal impl- implications, um, the donor sibling registry, all these really interesting um, yeah. scenarios. And the reason why there's two is because, okay, everything could be fulfilled in that first session. But people go away and have questions. So the second session is usually so that that couple or that person, that single woman, whoever, goes back and goes, hey, these are my questions. Yeah. And then, of course, there's um, genetic testing. So now anyone wanting to have a baby in Australia, hetero, um, homo, whatever, we recommend that we do genetic testing um, on themselves uh, to see if they're actually carriers of things like cystic fibrosis to exclude common genetic conditions that can cause babies um, to be sick. Yeah. And um, so that happens as well. 
And, and then once that process happens um, and they've chosen their donor, so say if you come to me with your girlfriend yes. and you do not have a friend or No, I need to look in the book. So guess what you do? Okay, what? You go to your phone yes. and take out your phone and you look under the Adam app, A-D-D-A-M. Yes. And that's an app that's uh, city slash rainbow fertility have come up with. It's it's a, a it's an app to look for donors. So, so can anyone? Do I need to? Can I just randomly go right now and have a go browse? No, I've done it myself. Yeah, it's it's a bit like Tinder. It's swipe right for babies, swipe left for maybe. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Is it yeah. really? Oh my yeah. god, I love yeah. that. You yeah. can. It's Tinder for sperm. It's Tinder for sperm. Amazing. And, um, it's to make it easier. For yeah, because a lot of people get intimidated by this this big the thought. Yes. And me, I'm intimidated. It's, by it's actually, and it's, it's actually really cool. That's so cool. Um, so um, that's pretty much a synopsis of how you know how it works. How it works. And, and 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 say um, if they wanted to buy sperm from the Adam app, yes. Where can that sperm come from? So it's like de-identified donor sperm. Yeah, it can come from um, the Sperm Donors Association in Australia. So um, City Fertility has a very active um, sperm recruitment, um, donor recruitment um, provider service through its umbrella. And uh, if you don't want to get sperm from an SDA donor, for example, um, or say you're, you prefer a, uh, an American donor because racially, you know, you prefer, I don't know, um, Mr. Chocolate, I don't know, Maxwell or whatever, right? And they're, they're going to have, being American donors, we get, Seattle Sperm Bank, that's who we work with from okay. overseas, you're more likely to get kind of a mix of donors. Yeah. So there is a lot of sperm available. Obviously, you're not going to wave your magic Hermione wand and suddenly have sperm there right now. Yes, it doesn't appear when you're quite. No. No way, straight away. There may be a small waiting time. Yeah. And so patience is required. Um, but, yeah, there's also the option of buying de-identified donor sperm if you don't actually have someone you know. And now if you have someone you know, uh, they will need to, we'll need to quarantine this sperm for three months. Oh. So the reason why we do that is to protect everyone from transmission of infections like HIV, as you know. Okay. So yeah. It takes three months. Okay. It's pretty much to protect everyone. Yeah. So sperm gets quarantined. Yep. My goodness. It does. Very interesting. So um, in Australia, what are the options for two people who identify as men? Mm -hmm. um, in a relationship, wanting to have a child? What are the options? Can they use IVF and, and how does that work if they can? Yeah, absolutely they can. So you, we're talking about, obviously, sperm. We've got sperm. Sorry, I'm pointing at the egg. We've got sperm. <laughs> We've got sperm, yeah. But we need egg and a uterus. Yes. So what do we need then? We need to get those eggs. Someone who's got those eggs. things. Yep. So we need to either buy those eggs and you can do that through the Egg Donors Australia or eggs can be also bought through the World Egg Bank under the um, umbrella of City Fertility. But, of course, if those two come together and we make an embryo, where's that embryo got to go? It's going mm -hmm. into a uterus. So then that's what we're talking about, surrogacy. Yeah, we're good. we need an oven. We need an oven, right? What kind of oven do you like? Um, ones that... Make babies? I don't know. Was <laughs> <Is> that gas? <laughs> I have an I have an electric oven at home, Dr. Tash. Um, yeah, I like I like gas too. Um, but you're talking about surrogacy. So in Australia, mm. altruistic surrogacy is the only type of surrogacy that's allowed. Meaning, commercial surrogacy is not allowed. Yeah, I'm not allowed to pay you yeah. three hundred thousand dollars. Um, for me to borrow your uterus. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a lot of money, but it's illegal. Yes. Uh, and the reason why that's illegal is because that opens people up to um, being manipulated and yeah. used. So altruism, doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And mm. um, there are many women out there who are uh, wanting to be surrogates. Mm. Um, it might be someone you know. So um, that, that male couple may have a, a friend. Yeah, who wants to be a surrogate, and you, surrogates have to meet certain criteria. Mm. Um, so there's two types of surrogacy. There's traditional surrogacy, uh, where the person who has the uterus but also provides their own eggs, um, and then genetically they are related to that child. Yes, and then you can use intrauterine insemination, which we spoke about earlier, or IVF to undergo that process. Yeah, 
or the more common one is gestational surrogacy, where the surrogate has no genetic link to the, to the baby mm. um, and they only provide the uterus. Yeah. Um, and so does that mean the baby won't look like the, the, the lady who carried it? Correct. Because yeah, right. it's a donor egg. Yes, yeah. right. Now, so there's a little list here of the process. If you're going to do anything that's complex in assisted reproductive technology, yeah. surrogacy is probably the most complicated. Yeah, yeah. we've got uh, that vibe. Yeah, yeah. But just for our listeners, the process is first is medical review by a, um, a fertility specialist where there's lots of tests and prep done. Uh, then it has to go to a surrogacy ethics committee. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be like approved oh, almost. Yeah. To be a first review of that, and most fertility clinics follow this process. Yeah. Um, then there's counselling. Yeah. Then there has to be independent legal advice where a lot of the ching comes into it, which mm-hmm. is why it's expensive. Then it goes back to the surrogacy ethics committee for final review. Gosh. Then um, a fertility coordinator um, provides information to that couple undergoing the treatment. Then they actually undergo the medical treatment for the IVF egg donor. So if we need those eggs, we have to go through that process of ovarian stimulation and egg collection. Then those eggs um, are put together with a sperm. Those embryos are then quarantined. Yeah. The then there's medical review. Uh, you have to then put that embryo into the surrogate. Yeah. Okay. Then there's a pregnancy test and then hopefully after all of that, oh you get a baby. And each state has a different form of legislation in Australia, so the legislation is different across each state. Mm. Each state, yeah. So okay. how long would that, I mean, you probably, it, there's lots of variables involved, but generally how long does that surrogacy process take? Oh, uh, you're looking at maybe even up to a year or more. Yeah, it felt quite long with all yeah, the states. Even getting people together for counselling. Yeah. Because the counselling process can be two or three sessions at least. Yeah. And so coordinating all of that can take a while. Gosh. Yeah. Just it's not easy, is it? We we um interviewed um one of our team members, Raj, who um is married, like he's a gay man married in a relation in a relationship. Obviously married is implied, but he's in New Zealand, him and his partner in New Zealand. And we interviewed him, was it last week? Yeah. Um, and he was telling us about how they've been trying to start a family and just like almost kind of exhausting their options in trying to start a family. Um, and I think the it sounded like the recommendation in New Zealand is for a uh, for when someone opts in for surrogacy, uh, the recommendation is that they've sort of already um, had their own family. Is that kind of the recommendation for yeah, surrogates in Australia too? They've proven that, that um, their uterus works. Yeah. Because uh, there are many women out there who have poor obstetric histories. So you would ideally not want to uh, select a surrogate mm. who has had three early pregnancy losses or in their, in their second or third trimester and not had a live birth. Yes. Because there could potentially be problems for her uterus and that would not be able to then achieve the outcome that that, that male couple will want. But also, is that is that pregnancy dangerous for her? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, selecting the surrogate is, is a very big part of it. Mm. And they have to be psychologically the right person as well. Yeah, yeah. Not just physically. It's a very big journey, isn't yeah. it, for everyone involved in that yeah. process. So, Dr. Tash, um, what services are available at Rainbow Fertility to support transgender people? Yeah, so look, um, I think earlier we were talking about how in some parts of the world, uh, transgender patients don't even have access to fertility preservation. So some of the services we provide here for the transgender population is um, freezing of eggs, sperm, embryos, um, testicular tissue or, or ovarian tissue, depending on when that transition happens. Mm. So um, a lot of transgender people, but not all transgender people, want to have children. But, but when you think about it, when you read the literature, about 40 to 50% of transgender people want to have children of their own. Yeah. So it is important for us to discuss the option of going through ovarian stimulation, egg collection, egg freezing um, for anyone wanting to transition from female to male. Uh, similarly, from male to female, uh, before undergoing any, you know, removal of testicles or any, you know, Hardcore drug therapy, you may want to freeze a lot of a lot of sperm. Yeah, and um, 
And that, that's kind of routine medicine now with, mm-hmm. uh, with Medicare rebates. Yeah. And uh, obviously supporting that holistically, uh, people will one day potentially want to be parents. Yeah. And in some parts of the world, people don't have that luxury yeah. um, because of the, discrimin- of the discrimination that they're faced with. Mm-hmm. In Australia, we're pretty lucky here. We've not just got, I think, I mean, we still have a fair way to go, but um, less discrimination but also affordable uh, fertility treatments. So I think one of your questions coming up is how do people afford all of this? Yes, tell us the secret. Well, everyone wants to know. Look, um, yeah, IVF can be expensive. Uh, for LGBTQI potential parents, Medicare rebates can apply from the beginning of treatment, but only if someone is uh, deemed medically infertile, like they have a problem with ovulation or blocked tubes or a low sperm count or they've done a number of IUI cycles that haven't been successful. Some private health funds may also help cover costs associated with fertility treatments like hospital cover, and it's just a matter of really shopping around for the right fund. Uh, People are also able to apply for access to their superannuation to pay for fertility services, which is pretty good, and I know a lot of my patients have done this. Many fertility clinics also have payment plans that can help people pay for their treatments, and... um, I suppose surrogacy. Surrogacy is a little different um, because although surrogacy agreements are legal standing in Australia, Medicare benefits are not payable for fertility services used in conjunction with surrogacy agreements, unfortunately. So we've heard it can be quite invasive um, and draining as a journey. Um, Is that true? And I guess also, like, what would be your advice in in coping, you know, with, with the process? Um, it can be draining and it, can, it definitely is invasive. Um, but I think for patients going through it, it's really important that they are, have supports. Mm. And those supports could be family, friends, but even a psychologist, like a health, a health mind coach to get you through it. And um, what I, again, when, when, I, when I read this question, I think to myself, first thing I thought about was, uh, was Harry Potter. And um, do you guys have you guys read Harry Harry Potter books? No. Okay. Oh, hey, has oh, okay. I haven't. I have. Why would no? I haven't. I read the first one because they made me read it for university when I was doing my undergraduate degree. Yeah. yeah whatever the first one's called, Harry Potter and the. <laughs> do you know what house you're in? Oh my gosh. <laughs> So like yeah, obviously. Like, you're a Hufflepuff. So if you did a Hufflepuff. He's a Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, when I, when You've I got a Gryffindor bag over there. Gryffindor. I kind of wanted to be, but I'm Ravenclaw. Oh, I think I'd be the... What's the S1 called? I'm a Slytherin. Yeah. You're dodgy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to get through the journey, I thought about the four houses. Yes. And um, the kind of characteristics that, that each house uh, looks at when they oh. a, a house member. So for Ravenclaw, um, the mottos are learning. So when anyone's going for fertility treatment, I think it's important to approach things from a learning perspective. You know, you're learning about your body, quality of your eggs and sperm. Uh, so I think it's really important to have kind of that perspective to make it more interesting um, and also have a level of acceptance of what will be, will be, and also to be again, creative throughout the whole process in, in, in the questions you ask and, and, and even how you do things with your with your doctor or practitioner. Um, under the house of Gryffindor, the mottos are courage, bravery and determination and mm. nerve, which I think very much applies. Under the house of Slytherin, there is resourcefulness and determination. So you, I, I think it's very important to be resourceful when you're going through facility treatment mm. because, yeah, it's important. You have to read up on um, what's the latest you you have to be your own healthcare advocate, yeah, and go to your health practitioner with lots of questions. Uh, and self preservation is an important one that's under the house of Slytherin as well. And so yeah, by that I I suppose I mean taking time out to rest when you're having fertility treatment. Don't do too much. Mm-hmm. Don't um, overwhelm yourself with other things, and um, take the time uh, to to go through it and and not not do too much at once. And the House of Hufflepuff, 
to an end there's the, there's the drama um we always like to end our episode with the same question for all our guests and i love, love the way we just we we always say we're consistent at the top we're consistent at the end anything can happen in the middle it's a journey <laughs> we get there eventually um what is one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners today Approach any unknowns in life with curiosity and creativity. I love curiosity and creativity. Yeah. That's like a good pair. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dr. Tash. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I. Same. Yeah, no. It's My brain's exploded with amazing knowledge. Your podcast, so thanks to. Come on. You're doing an amazing job creating little miracles for people every day. I'm trying to. Bringing beautiful children into the world. You just with a bit of this and a bit of that and put it in the bowl yeah. and then into the oven. Yeah. Nine months later, fingers crossed, baby. And, you know, you should probably um, interview maybe a scientist or an embryologist. Uh, that would be really interesting. Yeah, that would be really, I think, feel like my yeah. brain would definitely explode yeah. then with yeah. lots of work. Lots of things to Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been Thanks, amazing. Mara. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Nick and Nick of Let's Get Behind the Questions weekly podcast. Please share this episode and follow their podcast channel. Please open up yourself and your workplace to diversity. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel. And if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.